Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and this year, I'm turning 40. <laughs> and uh, I don't think of myself as 40, but I'm at that stage in my life where, you know, I'm getting, getting some more gray hairs, I'm noticing changes in my body, and I'm thinking a lot more about that pivot point in midlife where okay, do I have as many years ahead of me as I do behind me? And maybe those are some bummer thoughts for you. Uh, brace yourself. I'm about to say a few more bummer things and then we'll get to the good stuff. Because uh, the other thing that I'm at that stage in my life is I'm starting to see some of my elders really decline, really take a turn. One elder in particular, about a year ago, was diagnosed with dementia. And at first, the signs were pretty subtle. My husband and I, we would pick up on it, but other people just thought it was like personality quirks or they were being grumpy. And lately, it's really accelerated. And you can really tell that this person's cognition has changed a lot. Their mind, the way they think, it's just shifted. And if you've been a longtime fan of the show, you've probably also heard me talk about my grandmother, who I love, who I'm kind of obsessed with, um, but she has Parkinson's disease. And that affects her movement, her mood, her the way that she thinks about the problems in her lives. I really see how it's affecting the quality of her life, even though we've got it pretty well controlled, even though we're doing a pretty good job. So dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, they're neurodegenerative disorders. That means that they're conditions that affect the brain and the nervous system that that the brain and the nervous system are damaged. And I remember growing up in a place at a time where the, the conventional wisdom, not really wisdom, but you know, if you can call it that, uh, was that decline like that, cognitive decline, was just part of getting old. And it turns out that that is really not the case. And the current state of their brains is teaching me an awful lot about what I want for myself and how I want to take care of my brain. And I wish that today's guest had been around early enough doing her work that maybe she could have helped those elders, but maybe she can help you and I because there's still plenty of time for us. My guest today is Sally Duplantier. She's a gerontologist and health span educator, the founder of Zing, which you can find at myzinglife.com. She got a Master of Science in Gerontology from the University of Southern California. She got a certification in Nutrition Science from Stanford University. Uh, I am very excited to have her on the show. We had her on a few years ago before we were on the NASM Podcast Network. She's got a wealth of wisdom, of knowledge, and she honestly is just a delight. So I'm so grateful to have her back. Sally, welcome back to Better Than Fine. Oh, Darlene, I am so excited to be here. And I know I was off camera, but everything you were saying about brain health, I was nodding to. So it's an important topic. And I'm really excited to talk to you about it today. Well, I'm always excited to talk to you even about the weather. Um, but I'm very excited for our listeners to tap into the wealth of knowledge that you have cultivated through your education and through your own research. Right. Um, it, it's always exciting to me when we can get someone who's actually doing the research to come on the show and talk about it. So first, if you could just cue in our listeners for, for anybody who doesn't know, what is gerontology? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because a lot of people haven't heard that term. 
I would define gerontology as a study of the science of aging, but it's really a holistic look. So when I went back to school to get my master's of science in gerontology, um, we studied the biology of aging, the psychology, the sociology, aging policy. So all of the factors that can help people maintain healthy aging as long as possible. And, and I know there's a lot of factors and we're going to explore them together, but specifically one of the big things that we want to talk today is about the brain. I know that you're very passionate about aging in the brain. Um, so let's just start with, you know, we talk about brain health. I see it thrown around on TV and on socials and all of that. People throw around this phrase. Like, what do you mean when you say brain health? I love that question. And Darlene, anytime you ask me a question, I'm always going to try to provide the science behind it. So I'm going to quote the definition from the National Institute of Aging. Um, I think a lot of people think of brain health as cognition, cognitive function, how well we learn and remember. And that's certainly an important part. I don't want to discount that, but it's more than that. It's also brain health is associated with motor function, how well we move, how well we control movement. It's connected to emotional function, how we, how we process emotion, how we interact and, and feel emotion. And interestingly enough, it's also uh, tied to tactile sensation, how we respond to touch. And it kind of makes sense because all of our senses are associated with the brain. So we need to think of it more holistically. Uh, again, a lot of times we talk about cognitive decline. You know, that's learning and memory. Mm -hmm. but it's more than that. I'm so glad that you ended there because I was just thinking, I quickly scribbled while, while I was off, um, was you know, I, I've always thought of cognitive health as this broader expansion. And we throw that phrase around but to hear that it's learning and memory and then these other aspects as also being part of brain health, because if we're not only talking about the brain, of course, we're also talking about the nervous system, right? And that's yes, where absolutely. even touch, it never occurred to me that touch would change with, um, you know, brain health changes. Yes. So that's very interesting to me. Um, so one of the things that I know we really want to talk about today because of course the title of this episode is Better Brain Health Starts Now. Um, it is not uncommon for people to start to worry about it later in life, right? But I know that there is a very important aspect of this that you want to highlight. So you want to just take the mic from there? <laughs> yes, so I do. You know, I, as a gerontologist, I work with older adults. And in fact, I am an older adult. So you're about to turn 40, I just turned 70. And well, thank you. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, when we think about Alzheimer's or dementia, that's a disease that's associated with aging, although it's not, a, it's not part of normal aging. Um, but I've become interested more recently in midlife factors, things you can do 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, so that you avoid not only the risk of Alzheimer's later on, but you avoid kind of this downward spiral in, in cognitive function. And what the research shows, Darlene, is that even though signs of dementia may appear like, for example, in your grandmother, I think you mentioned her, the, the physiology, the pathology begins in the brain decades earlier. Mm -hmm. 
So we are so smart to start now to improve our brain health and to maintain our brain health than to wait until our 70s or 80s. That's why I'm, I'm just delighted to be on your show for that reason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the average age of our listener is somewhere in their mid 30s. I'm not sure if that bell curve has shifted. But um, I think one of the things that jumped out at me, like, yeah, better brain health starts now 30s, 40s, midlife. Yeah. But even in your 60s, that whatever age you are listening, that you, you, Sally, have listened, have has wisdom for you, listener, um, that can be applied now to help those longer term outcomes and avoid this decline that you're talking about that, again, isn't just memory. Like I think of the people in my family who have uh, like tactile issues, like they have blood flow issues and it affects their nerves. Like it didn't occur to me that that was also neurodegenerative, but now that you're saying it, it seems so obvious. So talk us through what is normal? What is abnormal? How do we tell the difference? Sure, absolutely. Um, and and what I will share with you is that we, for the most part, have the ability to change the trajectory of both. So let's talk about normal age-related decline in cognition. Um, if I had a graph, I would show you. I'll probably use my, my fingers here. <laughs> but, but there's something called, if we look at kind of two types of intelligence, there's crystallized intelligence and then there's fluid intelligence. Mm. And, and crystallized intelligence is kind of the sum of our knowledge. And so what's really interesting and, and I think um, helpful as we get older to know is that crystallized intelligence is going to increase. And that makes sense, doesn't it, Darlene? Because we're older, there's more stuff we know. And again, what, what we're talking about, you know, kind of normal aging. Now, fluid intelligence is associated with the raw processing power of the brain. And it really affects how, how quickly and how well we can process it, new information and problem solve. And for most people, there is some age-related decline. And that, that can even start to decrease in your, you know, in midlife, in your 40s. And it's more of a downward slope. And it affects things like working memory. Uh, processing speed, and even the part of executive function that helps us plan and organize. Yeah. But here's, here's what's so important to know about that, is that even though we have data that this happens to most people, we talk about age-related you know, cognitive decline that's normal, it doesn't happen to everyone. Um, and part of the way we know it are, are uh, through studies about super-agers. And so at my alma mater, USC, they're doing superager research. They're also doing it at Northwestern. We have individuals all over the world who are in their mid 80s and have the cognitive ability and brain health, the brain physiology. So this isn't like a death sentence or, or a life sentence. You know, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm getting older, so my cognition is going to get worse. It's just saying that happens to most people. And, you know, my advice is do what you can now so it doesn't happen to you. 
Yeah. You know, it's so interesting that as you're unpacking this, I had so many thoughts. Um, so the first was Arthur Brooks put out a book, I think last year, um, called From Strength to Strength that reviews exactly mm -hmm. what you're describing, the fluid intelligence to crystallized intelligence transition and the way that we overvalue fluid intelligence as a society. And that makes people in later life feel like they don't have as much to contribute. So I'm so glad that you're highlighting that crystallized intelligence is a form of wisdom, right? You've got more things figured out and plugged together. Uh, and the other interesting thing to reference a recent guest, uh, Neil Thies came on to share about his book, Notes on Complexity. And he told me after the episode that he just had a brain scan done. And even though he is in his, oh God, I don't want him to get mad at me if I say it wrong. I think he's in his 60s, um, that he was told he has the brain of someone in their 30s, uh, yeah. which I think was very cool. And I'm very glad for him. Um, but listener, you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Marshall. My guest today is Sally Duplantier, and we are talking about brain health, specifically that better brain health starts now. Okay, so we talked about this normal shift that we all normally, not all, most, some, <laughs> experience this transition from fluid intelligence, divergent thinking, you know, what we think of as like the person in their 20s and 30s who's just coming up with like, totally new, crazy, wild stuff. Arthur Brooks talked about um, there were equations that he wrote in grad school in his early 30s that he literally can't understand anymore um, when, I, when I heard him speak in October. But the transition to crystallized intelligence. So that's normal. But what would be abnormal? How might we see the hallmarks, the early blinking dashboard lights of what abnormal brain changes look yeah. like? Yep. And that's really Alzheimer's disease. And understand that Alzheimer's disease is an umbrella term for dementia. There are different types of dementia. So Alzheimer's is probably the most common. 70 to 80% of people with dementia have Alzheimer's, but mm. there is vascular dementia and they're, they're very interrelated. Can um, you talk about the difference? Because I, I didn't know that there was difference. You're teaching me so much already, Sally. Yeah. So, What's so the difference? With, with Alzheimer's disease, what we typically see is um, changes in the brain and that impact brain volume, uh, the gray matter in the brain. And I'm, I'm going to stress that there is also some age-related decline in brain volume. So some of that declines, but there are vast changes for people with Alzheimer's. And in Alzheimer's, what we typically see in the pathology is the accumulation of abnormal proteins. So amyloid beta protein, and then these tau tangles. And what happens if we were to look at this on a, like on a, a, an image is these abnormal proteins start to eat away at the brain. And you can literally look on like fMRI imaging and you can, or MRI imaging, and you can start to see almost holes in the brain. Mm. Um, strongly affects the hippocampus where memory is housed. And there are, there is an abnormal amount of shrinkage in the brain. There's white lesions. Um, and so vascular dementia they're, they're very closely associated, but vascular dementia is often brought about on um, by combination of high blood pressure and then stroke. So you may mm. have some of the same results, but the causes are different. Uh, frontal temporal uh, dementia is what uh, what um, Bruce Willis has. There's mm. Lewy body dementia. So there are different kinds of dementia, and quite honestly, 
it's hard to diagnose, even with Alzheimer's. So what, what starts to happen is that Alzheimer's, I'm going to call it Alzheimer's, but we understand mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it's umbrella. It's a progressive disease. And it may it, it begins with mild cognitive impairment. And that's kind of a, a stage at which there are brain changes that present themselves, but they don't make activities of daily living impossible. Everybody, Darlene, loses their keys. I mean, everybody. <laughs> I hate it when people say, oh, I'm having a senior moment. I lost yes. my keys. No, I do too. I hate it when people right, say that. I hate it when people say that about any kind of like, oh, I'm having an OCD moment. Oh, I'm having an anxiety attack moment. It's, I hate it when it's about anything that is diagnosable because it is, it's, well, it's ableist. Let's just call it spade a spade, right? When we go around saying that, oh, we're having a whatever moment, <laughs> you're erasing the experience of the people who actually have it. And as somebody who takes care of two people with, neurodegenerative disorders, uh, you forgetting somebody's name is not uh, right. a senior moment. It's just a normal thing that everyone's brains right. do. That's and not the same as forgetting who you are. And it's not a, and it's not a sign of, of um, uh, cognitive impairment. But yeah. if you, you know, I would be concerned if I had a, a mom or a sister who got to a shopping center and then looked around and didn't know why she was there or had no idea how she got there, or had no idea how to get home. You know, that kind of change is problematic. And the Alzheimer's Association has, you know, they have some great uh, literature about the 10 early warning signs. So the thing is that Alzheimer's disease does affect older adults um, disproportionately to younger adults. It definitely does, but it's not normal aging. It's not normal to get mm -hmm. Alzheimer's. And yet given the trajectory of this disease, Alzheimer's is the seventh leading cause of death in the world. And it's the only one of the top 10 diseases for which there's no cure. Oh. And by the, it's, it's increasing so exponentially that worldwide by 2050, we'll have 115 million people with Alzheimer's unless unless we can make, start making some changes. And I think what's exciting, Darlene, is whether it's normal cognitive decline or Alzheimer's, there are actions we can take now at any age to help protect our brains. Great lead in, could have paid you to do it. Uh, so no, but I think this is important, right? For you to recognize that the trajectory we're on, the people who are, uh, you know, my age, a little older than me, if we keep following the current trend line worldwide, that is a potential future or the current middle-aged generation can choose to empower themselves with information. So let's talk about what that information is. Uh, I think we're saying lifestyle is going to play a big role. Lay the groundwork because lifestyle is really broad. Uh, and then obviously we can circle back and like dig in deeper. What kinds of things are we talking about here? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna list some. I'm gonna list some, and then we can do a kind of a deep dive into a couple where I think there's mo the most scientific evidence. But lifestyle it includes nutrition, it includes movement, it includes sleep, stress, social engagement. Remember, I mentioned vascular dementia. There is such a strong correlation between uh, heart disease, hypertension, and Alzheimer's that, you know, like 
get your heart checked, you know, eat and exercise well to protect your heart because it's going to protect your brain. Mm. Um, high, high correlation between diabetes and Alzheimer's. And not surprising, high correlation between all three of those diseases. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the, the great news is that you don't really have to follow some specific program for brain health and then a different one for heart health. Um, they go together. There's, it's virtually impossible to do something that's good for your heart that isn't good for your brain. They go together. <laughs> Yeah, I love that you're highlighting that because at this point, you know, I, I literally just got off teaching a workshop on lifestyle stuff uh, right before I got on to record this episode with you. And I kicked it off by just saying like, okay, name the single most important thing in your life. Pick, if you had to pick one thing, put it in one word, what is the most important thing with your life? Everything we're going to talk about lifestyle is going to benefit that thing. I don't care if it's your career because it's going to improve your productivity, your cognition, um, your creative, your creativity, your divergent thinking, your problem solving. Like, blah, 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 blah. I don't care if it's your family, better emotional regulation, better relationships. Like, you're going to be able to show up more completely and and be who you want to be for them. Or health, right? All of the health stuff, like the lifestyle stuff, benefits all of it. It drives me, it so continues to surprise me that we have to convince people that the lifestyle stuff is the key to building yeah, the stable yeah. foundation. No, I know. And then, and then what I also find, and I find this, Darlene, in my own life, is that there can be a gap between knowing and doing. Like, Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Who doesn't know to eat more vegetables, right? But do we do it? But that's why coaches exist, Sally. Thank you for also doing my work for me. Because um, coaches help you figure out how to go from knowing to doing. Um, yeah, but let's absolutely. talk about the knowing. And we can help people with the doing in a different episode. Um, so you mentioned sleep, nutrition, movement. And I think this is a very interesting one. So I want to put a big old bold on it. Social engagement. Um, so can we go in reverse order since that's the one I'm most excited about and I'm selfish? Uh, talk to me about social engagement and its relationship to brain health, because I think that's fascinating. So, I mean, and the evidence, Darlene, for this is so strong. And it's part of the reason that you've we've seen an increase in dementia, um, increase in uh, Alzheimer's-related deaths since the pandemic. I think mm -hmm. one of the hardest things that we could have for older adults is to isolate them like we did in the pandemic to protect their physical health but without that stimulation and if you think of if you think of social interaction there's so many elements at play there so it's not just it's not just like having a conversation or doing something but oftentimes there's physical activity associated with it um there's fun, there's joy, there's thinking, there's cognition, there's forming a conversation, thinking about what you might want to say next. Um, and, and it's brain stimulating. And the challenge is that when we isolate individuals, and they don't have that, what, where is the stimulation coming from? Mm. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, like passive TV doesn't help much. Brain games, I'm sorry, but brain games make you <laughs> games. They do. There's something called near transfer and far transfer. So if you do like, you know, certain brain puzzles in isolation by yourself, you're going to get good at those puzzles. Mm -hmm. But but the social interaction is key. And it's one of the reasons why, interestingly enough, hearing, like poor hearing 
is mm. related to dementia. In fact, if your hearing is just kind of, you know, like a 2x factor, it's, it's you know, it's not awful, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not as good as it used to be. Having hearing that's kind of twice as bad as it once was puts you at far greater risk uh, for Alzheimer's and dementia. And part of it is because you withdraw socially. Mm -hmm. So that that is a challenge. And I think one other thing I'd, I'd add about the pandemic is that I think people who might have had an inclination to be introverts um, kind of stayed that way, even though now we're more socially engaged. And, and it is a challenge for brain health. Yeah, I, I, I think that one of the things that comes to mind for me is um, I think it's David Sinclair who talks about stress mimetics that like doing behaviors that mimic stressful things because that challenges our physiology. So things like resistance training and exercise or cold plunges. Um, but it also makes me think of like, you know, you've got to, you got to use it or lose it. And so if you have compromise to your hearing or something like your vision, where you're at a stage in life that you have less neural flexibility, right? Like less um, BDNF. So it's not like you're going to remodel the brain and use it for something else, right? Because you have, have less flexibility as you age. Um, so losing vision, losing hearing, you're not challenging the brain in the same way, right? You're not using it. So you lose right. it. Right. Um, so then, okay, I, I'm with you on social connection. You've got, you got me hook, line, and sinker there. Um, but when you mentioned uh, the, the lack of, of stimulation, the brain games thing, um, I certainly have heard in the fitness industry circles where I have spent the last decade, people talk about, you know, okay, well, if the, the Sunday crossword is not really what's going to prevent uh, cognitive decline, but movement will, like challenging movements, motor mechanic balance, that kind of stuff. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the role of movement in the same way that you're talking about these like word puzzles that don't. Really yeah. Work. Yeah. So it's funny. I do a presentation where people have to kind of guess, you know, it's like a quiz show, you know, yeah. does, this, does that not help Ex exercise and movement? Cause I look at them a little bit differently. They both Agreed. help. They Woo. have vast, vast amounts of data for this. Um, and, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit, too, about, about what a, a colleague of mine calls a twofer. So I'll get to that. But we have research. I mean, I'm going to quote some studies. The Shanghai study um, on aging, the Columbia study on aging, even the UK STEPS study. Um, these were all um, observational studies. So they're not randomized clinical trials. You know, they're, they show correlation, not necessarily cause, causation. But in all of these studies, um, there are large epidemiological studies. They showed the positive relationship between physical activity and brain health. And those studies measured brain health differently. So in the Shanghai study, for example, it was related to, um, it was related to cognitive testing. In the Columbia study that I mentioned, it was related to brain volume. And what we're seeing is that movement and exercise are both positively correlated with, um, with brain health in, in those two measures, and that it's never too late to start. So one of the mm. interesting things about the Columbia study was that they looked at, at people starting in their teenage years who exercised vigorously and, and that impact 
um, on, on brain health as measured through fMRI, I'm sorry, as, as measured through MRI uh, brain volume. And while it showed, sure, if you're a teenager and you exercised vigorously all your life, that was better for brain health. Um, even women in their 50s who started exercising, it was positive. There was a positive correlation. And then what I liked about the UK STEP study, this was a large, a very large epidemiological study. Um, and it was done over, I think, 6.9 years. And it showed that even like 3,800 steps a day was positively correlated mm. with better brain health. So there's research that's being done now out of the Cleveland Clinic um, and University of Wisconsin clinical trials related to exercise intensity, which I think is great. Let's see how yeah. important that is. But what research is showing is that movement itself is important. And you'll love this. This just this came out of Northwestern University where they're studying super agers. Um, remember, those are people in their mid-80s who have the cognitive functioning of cognitive and physical functioning of people decades younger. Life goals. And what they found in kind of the, the, the super agers versus the normal agers is that one thing that set them apart was how much they moved during the day. Mm. In other words, both groups exercised the same. But those super agers were gardening and they were going upstairs and they were parking their car and walking to a, a shop instead of finding the fast, you know, the closest parking lot. So movement matters. And I, I love it because it's very consistent with the message that you share. Oh, I, I love it, too. It reminds me of um, Rick Ritchie, who hosts our, our sister show, the NASM CPT podcast. He said the first time he was on Better Than Fine, uh, when it came to movement, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. So I appreciate, you know, 3,800. You can get 3,800, even if you got a lot going on, even if you've got uh, some, some chronic illness, some challenges, you can get 3,800. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. My guest, Sally Duplantier. We are talking about brain health because better brain health starts now. I don't care what age you are. I hope your big takeaway from this episode so far is that your 50s, your 60s, just start doing one of my favorite trends on Instagram is seeing you know people in their 70s and 80s to start resistance training. They start lifting heavy. And the way that over the course of a year, you can see their health improve. So I love that. Uh, we haven't talked about nutrition or sleep. Let's talk about nutrition first. So, uh, yes, I love both of these topics. So um, nutrition, when I was in graduate school at the University of Southern California, I worked with a professor at Stanford, Dr. Christopher Gardner, amazing nutrition scientist. And we co-authored a paper looking at the link between certain dietary patterns and cognitive decline. And what we found is that there is a positive correlation between the way you eat and what you eat, not only what you eat and what you avoid, um, uh, not only what you eat, but also what you avoid um, in diets like the Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, which is a version of the MIND diet, but it's low, low sodium version. And then the newest one is the MIND diet, which was developed out of Rush Medical. And it it's a, a spin on the Mediterranean diet, but it focuses um, more on berries and greens. So there is a positive correlation. I will tell you that most of the research has been observational in na nature, mm. and we're starting now to see more randomized clinical trials. 
um, our, our paper focused on why it's so difficult to actually run <laughs> randomized clinical trials dealing with nutrition, especially self-reported nutrition. But, you know, all of these diets that I mentioned, and I, I quote diets because they're really lifestyle patterns, they favor unsaturated fats versus saturated fats. So eat the nuts, eat the olive oil, but not the butter. Um, they, they focus on whole grains. They focus on whole foods and not processed foods. Um, they focus on vegetables. They focus on berries, dark leafy greens. It's not like, it's not rocket science. You, know, <laughs> you avoid sugar, you avoid saturated fat, you avoid or limit red meat, fried food, and then pastries. So it's things we know, but the research is showing that what we eat can positively impact brain health. Yeah. And I think what I hear there is this, this hallmark. So I just want to highlight a lot of the same things. Um, anybody who's looking for help on the, on the doing and the what, maybe go check out the additive nutrition episode. But essentially what you're saying is like, if it's a plant, get the natural version of the plant, not the processed, uh, you know, get, what, what does my mom say? It came, it grew on a plant. It didn't come from a plant, um, right? Instead of coming from like a, an industrial space. You know, uh, Darlene, I just have to say, if if people yeah. only changed one one thing nutritionally, they would eat more whole food, less processed food. And it's it's convenient. It's all around us. I have to let, when, when Dr. Gardner and I were working on that paper, um, it was like so stressful and so hard. I was eating like Amy's macaroni and cheese. <laughs> but I, I was at least I was at least aware. Oh, I don't think this is the best for me. But you, you know, uh, we, we all have our we all have our downfalls and our our period in time. But that's why I take the additive nutrition approach. Like, yeah. okay, if if Amy's is your comfort food, the and, and this show is not sponsored by Amy's, but Amy's hit me up if you want to. Um, so mac and cheese. Um, but if the additive approach is, okay, I'm going to have my mac and cheese, but I'm also going to have it with like a kale salad. So it's not never have the cupcake. It's have the cupcake with a reasonably rounded out meal that includes uh, a bioavailable protein and something that has fiber in it. Right. Like I, I, I just I agree more. And, and yeah. for those of us who limit ourselves and, and are so strict, it, it just serves no purpose because then we'll just go off the deep end at some point. Well, yeah. And like, you know, we're not talking a ton about the role of stress here, but if you're so stressed out by like, oh no, the shame spiral of eating the cupcake, the stress is as damaging to you as maybe one cupcake or an occasional uh, yeah. ice cream cone. Yeah. Um, you know, patterns. Patterns is the more important thing than a single instance. Um, and then sleep. Tell me about sleep because okay. I love talking to people about sleep. Okay, sleep, sleep again, when we look at the studies, the research, overwhelming um, amount of research that shows the importance of sleep for brain health and the importance of sleep for every kind of health, cardiovascular health, for diabetes, you know, diabetes control, reducing the risk. So again, they all go together. But I, I have a visual in my slide deck of sleep is nature's garbage truck. And <laughs> in just in the last 10 years, uh, out of the University of Rochester, some really interesting research was done um, about the glymphatic system. 
And I, oh. a lot of people haven't heard of the glymphatic system. It was somewhat new to me. So basically, it's kind of an in-out processing system where it, it, with this uh, cerebral spinal fluid enters the brain, it mixes with the brain's own fluid, and then it removes waste. Um, and one of those types of waste is, guess what? Amyloid beta protein. And remember I said in Alzheimer's, you start to have an abnormal buildup of that protein in your brain. And it drains it through, it takes, it removes the waste and takes that out through the lymphatic system. Now what's interesting is researchers found that the lymphatic system only works when we're sleeping. It doesn't work when we're awake. And so when I think about, and then, and then research has been done. There's a 2021 study that was published when it was looking at middle-aged adults. And I think these were people primarily 50, 60, so a little bit older than you are now. And they showed that people who were only sleeping five to six hours a night were 30% more likely to develop dementia. And I'll, I'm going to just get on my soapbox for one second, and then I will exit. But what I see in midlife, I see working professionals, I was one, who are so eager to exercise that we go to bed too late because we're working too much, and then we get up at 5.30 in the morning to exercise, and we're not getting enough sleep. And I will tell you that that exercise isn't doing you really any good. You should get the sleep, and you should go to bed earlier so you can get <laughs> That's my soapbox. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I'm so glad you said it because it is something that, you know, obviously I give my clients a lot of choice. That's the whole point of coaching. But when they ask what I think they should work on first, if they are not giving enough time and energy to sleep, I tell them to prioritize the sleep over the workout too. So thank you for validating my opinion on the topic. I love when you so fuck. It's so important. It's so legit. The other, the other thing I thought was cool, um, the mechanism of the glymphatic system. I, I always think that this is so neat that it's the brain actually shrinking a little bit. And then that's the cerebral spinal, I'm saying it wrong, the fluid coming in. Um, that it's, you know, the brain shrinks and the brain swells. So to me, it's always been like the tide, right? The tide mm. is like rolling mm. into your brain, collecting the junk. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Use it. Take it. Run with it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. I will also share on sleep. A book that changed my life about sleep is Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep. Why we sleep. I, I think it's the best health book of the 21st century, you know, and, and I, I just, anybody who doesn't take sleep seriously should read that book. Yeah, you know, I'll say I often recommend that book when I teach workshops on sleep. The only caveat I give to people is, you know, I've got people who have taken my workshop, they've, they sleep um, in front of the television their whole lives. And they're, you know, it's how they self soothe enough to get calm enough to sleep. And then when they just are like, Oh, I took that workshop, or I read that book, and it told me that I can't do that anymore, I have to be in the dark. And oh. then they get anxious, right? Because they change too fast. So what I would say is, if you're going to read that book, Give yourself permission to change your sleep behaviors gradually. It's one of the only drives that you can um, uh, get yourself out of psychologically, right? Like I can't think myself into not being thirsty, but I can think myself through panic to not be tired. I, um, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. So Sally, thank you so much for all of your wisdom. I'm always excited and enriched by spending time talking to you. Um, but you have an event coming up this week with uh, the girl crush of this show, the official 
fangirl of this show, uh, Kelly McGonigal. Will you tell us about your Kelly McGonigal event? And, and quick caveat for the listener. Um, the event is going to be in between when we're recording and when the show goes up, but they can still find it on your website on the recording. So yeah. tell us about Kelly coming on. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I have been such a fan of Dr. Kelly McGonigal ever since I took her continuing ed class at Stanford on the science of willpower before she wrote her first book and was talking to us about how she kept procrastinating writing her chapters. It endeared me to her and I've loved all of her work. But I host a program called Wellness Wednesdays. It's free, it's open to the community. And um, she's gonna be my guest speaker on, on August 9th and the recording will be available. And we're doing an interview about one of her best-selling books, The Upside of Stress, because we believe that stress is public enemy number one. And we believe that we have to manage stress. And what Kelly is gonna show us is how we can reframe stress so that it's positive because when we reframe it stress can actually be beneficial for our health love it okay so where can we find this uh recording when the listeners learn about it well, people can find it on my youtube channel i think that's probably the easiest place or they can find it on my website in my wellness wednesday recordings in my complimentary copies of wellness Which... wednesday recordings is misinglife.com. Misinglife yeah, and yeah. you just got on Instagram very recently. What is your Instagram handle? At misinglifesally. At misinglifesally. Sally, thank you so much for joining me. It's always such a pleasure to have you. Darlene, this was delightful. And I'm excited that your listeners are interested in uh, getting their brain health started now. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so there's two things that I want to share with you before you go. Uh, you know, Sally jokingly said in the episode that like knowing is not the same as doing. And of course, as coaches, one of the things we do is help people with their doing. And so if you're a fan of the show and you've been listening for a while and you think, hey, man, I want to be more effective at helping people with the doing, or maybe you want that for yourself. Well, you should check out NASM's Certified Wellness Coaching Course, which I was very fortunate to get to be a contributing author to. And the person I was contributing with, my peer reviewer, was Dr. Kelly McGonigal. So we helped to write some of that course to help you facilitate sustainable positive change in other people. So if you want to check it out, you can go to nasm.org and click wellness at the top. There's a new dropdown. There's resources. There is information. You can learn about wellness coaching in depth before you check it out. But if you decide that you do want to take NASM's CWC, well, I want to give you an additional uh, discount. So whatever the discount is currently on the website, you can get an additional $600 off using the code Marshall CWC. That's M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C at checkout. The other thing I want you to check out is the More Better Substack. You like Better Than Fine? You're into the show? Well, you should check out betterthanfine.substack.com and there you can get workbooks, write-ups, episodes from the old show, bonus episodes for paid subscribers. Check it out, subscribe, get it right into your inbox twice a week. Of course, we'd love to hear your feedback, so don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us. My email is info at darlene.coach. Instagram and threads is also darlene.coach. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. And of course, if you're a fan of the show, I hope you've already subscribed. Like this episode on YouTube, share it, tag us. That's the way that we can build an audience and keep Better Than Fine coming to your ears. Thank you so much and be well.